0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and today will be one of our solo podcasts. I will be sharing with you what I have learned about setting your new chief executive up for success. You see, through my interim executive engagements and my executive coaching clients, I have been involved in a lot of executive director transitions. I have seen the successful tactics that boards have used, as well as some of those counterproductive actions that have set up a new CEO to fail. Now, according to the Harvard Business Review article titled, After the Handshake, one-third to one-half of all new CEOs fail within their first 18 months. That's right. The washout rate is a third to a half over 18 months. And I can share something with you. For first-time executive directors, that is even higher. For many, serving as a chief executive is the hardest, highest-pressure job they have ever had. In addition to the normal stress and distractions of starting a new job, There is so much more that turns this position into a pressure cooker. The new chief executive may have been a manager before this point in their career, but now everyone looks at and listens to what they do. Not just the people in their program or the people on their team, but everyone in the agency or the organization has their eye on them. Now, in addition to that, they report to a board of 10 or 12 people instead of just one boss. And every problem in the organization is ultimately their problem. And let me also say, there are a crushing number of demands on a chief executive's time and attention. And let's not even mention that payroll is a metaphorical gun to a chief executive's head every two weeks every two weeks you're like oh my gosh i've got to come up with all this money in order to make payroll or people don't get paid so let me just say it's not that surprising that there's such a significant washout rate among new chief executives because it is such a demanding and such a high pressure job now there's some things that you as an organization or as a board can do to help your new chief executive succeed and obviously Recruiting a great candidate to be your chief executive is the first step in ensuring their success, and this episode just assumes that you have already selected a high-quality candidate who is generally a good fit for your organization. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the six things that you can do to help your nonprofit's new executive director succeed. And as a bonus, I'm also going to share a little bit about three Harvard Business Review articles on the subject of onboarding and orienting your new chief executive for success. So the very first thing that you can do to ensure that your new chief executive is successful is to make those hard and unpopular decisions long before the new chief executive starts. Since The search for your next permanent chief executive will likely take six to 12 months. This is the perfect opportunity to make those hard or unpopular decisions. So as an example, if you're thinking about eliminating a program, closing a facility, or cleaning house in your senior leadership team, it is best to do that months before the new chief executive starts, not weeks before they start, or even worse, after they've started. You see, far too often, I have seen organizations postpone decisions so that, in their own words, the next executive director can make this important decision. But consequently, the new chief executive may be faced with organizationally momentous decisions without having the necessary organizational experience or knowledge to make the best decision. And in these situations, the new executive director is bombarded by input from formal and informal leaders throughout the organization. So staff members, board members, volunteers, funders, partner organizations are all going to be coming at the new executive director around this big, momentous decision saying, I think you should do A, B, C, D, E, F, or G, and here's why. And in the worst of these scenarios, these are highly politicized stakeholders who may be pushing for a decision that is in their own interest or something that they've wanted to see for a long time, and they see the new leader as an opportunity to get it. Essentially, they see the new leader as a pawn for them to get what they want. Now, let me share with you real quick an example in my own life where a momentous decision was made as I was coming in as the executive director. Almost about a dozen years ago, actually, yeah, almost about a dozen years ago, I accepted the permanent executive director position at a multi-million dollar organization. Now, I accepted the job, I was getting ready to move across the country, and two weeks before my first day, the organization voted to eliminate a program. I'm not making this up. Like, literally, at this point, my house is on the market, I'm getting ready to move, I have a place that I'm moving into in the new city and I get word from the board that they've decided to eliminate a program without really consulting me about it. They did say, "Oh, we just want to let you know and if you have strong misgivings, please share it with us." And of course, I shared my misgivings, but it quickly became clear that the board was going to make that decision no matter what. So, Even though I was essentially informed of the decision after the fact, the staff saw me as the Grim Reaper. You see, literally, if the decision was made two weeks before I started, it was about a week, maybe even just a few days before I started, that a third of the staff were being informed that they were going to get laid off and their program was being closed. No matter what I did as the new chief executive, everyone looked at me and thought, huh, this person has killed off a program. So, unnecessarily, Putting difficult decisions on your new chief executive soldiers in their first few months or immediately before they start typically shortens the honeymoon period for both the staff and the board, and it also forces the executive director to deplete their social capital quickly because every new chief executive walks in with a certain amount of social capital and they have to spend that capital strategically. Unfortunately, when they're either forced to make a difficult decision or that difficult decision is forced on them, then they've got to spend that capital and they don't have it to spend on other important decisions or projects that the organization needs to launch. Now, let's assume, moving on to the next one, that you have used the interim period to make and implement those difficult decisions. So that time between executive directors or that, you know, if you're... Current ED is retiring, that six-month or year-long period before they actually retire. You use that to make all of those difficult decisions. Then we can focus on creating an onboarding plan to help your new chief executive succeed. And this onboarding plan starts before their first day as the chief executive. So let's continue this conversation by talking about the new executive director playbook. Whenever I'm the interim executive director, I always draft a playbook that outlines everything the new executive director will need to know during their first year. This playbook is typically a 45 to 65 page document, and it includes both tactical notes and strategic notes, includes information on things like the annual budgeting process. So, you know, when does budgeting get started? Who has traditionally played a role in budgeting? What role does the finance committee play and the board play? What are some of the hot button issues around budgeting? Um, We also talk about the annual cash flow cycle and fundraising strategies. It's important when you're coming in as the new executive director to understand what the cash flow cycle is and understand how those fundraising strategies either help smooth out cash flow or make cash flow even worse. I also include a lot of human resource notes. So, for example, a frank assessment of senior leadership team members and any other HR information, for example, ongoing HR issues. I do the same if the organization has a facility where we talk about any outstanding facility issues as well as any outstanding legal and PR issues. So if there's any uh, public relations types of issues or legal issues, I make sure that we fully document those in the playbook as well. And now a couple other things that I will do is I include a calendar. And that calendar has all of the board meetings for the next 12 months, all of the standing committee meetings, upcoming special events. And here's the kicker, appointments that I have scheduled for them during their first 90 days. So essentially, I reach out to the new chief executive and let them know that I'm going to control their schedule before they get started, before their first day. And Within reason, I ask them if they prefer mornings or afternoons or evening meetings, and I also ask if there are any family or medical commitments that I should be scheduling around. And this allows me to reach out and schedule an introductory meeting between the new chief executive and all of the key funders, some of those major donors, partners of the organization, staff, board members, local politicians that are important to the organization's success, et cetera. And so what this does is this helps the chief executive have some real um, clarity about who it is they should be meeting with in their first 90 days. It also means that they're not stepping in on day one, trying to come up with a list of 90 or 100 people they should be meeting with. And it also allows me to help create a schedule with some decent balance. So I will typically only book one or two of these meetings every single day, often for their first 90 days. And so if I only book one or two, then that allows them to not get overbooked, but it also enables them within that first quarter to meet all of the key constituents that are going to be critical to their success. Now, I have actually had chief executives tell me that the playbook was their Bible throughout their first year and that it was perhaps the best thing that I did for their success while I was the interim executive director. They knew that the playbook could answer almost any question they might have, or at the very least, tell them where to find the answers. And it's not at all unusual, typically two to three times, during the first year of a new executive director where they'll reach back out to me and say, okay, I've already looked in the playbook and I can't find this. And I'm really happy that there's only two or three times that the executive director wants something and they can't find it in the playbook. So a full, comprehensive playbook is essential to your next chief executive success. While working on your new executive director's playbook, it is also a good time to outline the role for your outgoing executive director because that person's role is going to be critical in your new chief executive success. This is especially important if your outgoing director was a founder director or was exceedingly popular or successful and had a long tenure. In my own life as a former chief executive, I always felt that my role, once I'd left the seat, the role of chief executive was to be a resource to the incoming executive director and to be their cheerleader. But I also knew that I needed to be silent about anything I might not agree with and would never allow staff members to come to me and complain about my successor. I'll share with you that as an interim chief executive, what I will typically say to staff members A couple weeks before the next chief executive comes in for their very first day is I will say to them that I am committed to their success, but I need them to be committed to the new chief executive's success. And consequently, if for whatever reason they are not happy working with the new chief executive, I'm always really clear that I want them to give the new chief executive a full year before they make the decision that they don't want to be working at the organization. And if they give the new chief executive a full year, I'm willing to give them a really strong, good reference. I'm even willing to help them find work. But what I'm not willing to do is listen to them kvetch about the new chief executive, or whine or cry or say why they don't like the new chief executive. I shut that down, and I shut that down pretty quickly. Now, it is almost always a mistake to invite the outgoing chief executive to serve on the board, because let's face it, if you're the immediate past chief executive, you really cannot disagree with the new chief executive without undermining them. Because board members around that table are going to look at the prior chief executive and say, well, you were in this seat. What do you think? And it kind of creates this really uncomfortable power differential, and it's not good for your new chief executive's success. It is also a mistake to retain the former chief executive as a contractor or an employee, In these situations, I will usually see staff and sometimes even board members using the former director as a sounding board for dissatisfaction with the new chief executive. Now, another way to control dissatisfaction, and this moves on to the next one, is to establish first-year goals for the nonprofit's new executive director the board chair and the new executive should work on four to five big goals for their first year. These goals will be the primary criteria for evaluating the chief executive at the one-year mark. And when considering these goals, I am hoping that you think of them as high level and not tactical. They're probably not operational. They're probably strategic. And let me give you a few examples. Design and implement an employee engagement plan. So, if an organization has disengaged employees, has high attrition, et cetera, that might be a good goal for the new chief executive. Or here's another to strengthen internal controls so there will be no material weaknesses or significant deficiencies in your first annual audit. Now, admittedly this one does veer a little bit over to operations but finance is so important and really strengthening internal controls becomes a strategic issue because strengthening requires that you review everything that's happening both in the finance department but also in the programmatic department and every other entity that interacts with finance so Another good strategic goal is to build strong relationships with board members and the board as a whole. Chief executives survive or crash largely based on their relationship with board members. And so time spent investing in those board relationships during the first year is time very well spent. As I have already mentioned, Many people during the chief executive's first year will be clamoring for their attention, and that is especially true in the first three or four months. And each person, every single one of those folks, will undoubtedly be asking the chief executive to take action, start a new initiative, or support their efforts in some new way. And these broad goals will help your new chief executive manage their energy and their attention. Then the new chief executive can focus on those things that will move your organization forward instead of helping the person who screams the loudest or most consistently. Essentially, when people bring this new project or new initiative or a decision they really want made to the new chief executive, that person is then able to say, Well, you know, I've kind of worked through these four or five broad goals with the board, and these are gonna be my big goals for the year. I certainly appreciate your feedback and your input, but I'm gonna be concentrating my energy on these four or five goals. And the person will often counter and say, well, all you need to do is make this decision after that, it all takes care of itself. And that's, again, where the new chief executive needs to kind of stand their ground and say, that's really not going to be an appropriate way for me to just make a decision and then step back. If I'm going to make an important decision like the one you're suggesting, I need to make sure that I understand the organization, financially, culturally, all of the dynamics inside and out of the organization, so I'm not prepared to make that decision yet. I am though focusing on these four or five goals and that's gonna be my priority. I also encourage you as among those goals to negotiate a work-life balance goal with a new chief executive. It has to be a work-life balance goal that is meaningful to them, but I often suggest that the new director schedule a two-week vacation in their eighth or ninth month. Whenever I suggest this to an executive coaching client of mine, they almost always balk. They'll explain that they have never taken or felt the need to take a two-week vacation. It does feel completely unnecessary during those those first few months when everything is new and their energy is high, but at the end of the year-long coaching engagement, many clients have told me that the two-week vacation was critically important for their well-being, not just their well-being as the executive director, but their well-being as a person, as a family member, as a friend. And they will continue, they tell me, to take a two-week vacation in future years. And whenever I hear this, I think to myself, yes, another chief executive soul has been saved. Because as the chief executive, I kind of started this episode saying, this can be a soul-crushing job. And if people do not set good work life boundaries it can literally rob all the rest of their life the onboarding plan that we've talked about also has to help the new chief executive build strong relationships with board members and staff management team members you may have already heard me say that i think you've got to schedule appointments with every board member and with every uh, senior leadership team member kind of get to know you meetings and those should probably be scheduled before the new chief executive starts, but they occur after their first day. So those strong relationships are gonna be really critical. There should be no daylight between the chief executive and the board. And there should also be no daylight between the chief executive and the management team. Now, it's perfectly okay for the chief executive and the board to disagree, and it's also okay for the chief executive and members of the management team to disagree but they need to disagree behind closed doors, they need to work it out, come up with a solution, and then when the door opens, everybody needs to be on the same page. There can't be any rolling of eyes, there can't be any whispering or gossip, well, I disagreed with this decision, but I went along with it. There can be no daylight between the chief executive and the board. And there can be no daylight between the management team and the chief executive. Now, to help make that happen, to help ensure that there's a close, strong relationship, the board chair and chief executive should meet weekly for the first year, and likely no less frequently than every other week after that. If you expect that a new chair will be appointed during the new chief executive's first 12 months, it's also a good idea to have the chair elect join in on this meeting. Assuming that the meeting is about 60 minutes, I would suggest allocating roughly equal time to discuss the fire of the week, because let's face it, every chief executive has to deal with tactical stuff every single week, board development, and then a relationship-building question. So that's about 20 minutes on each. And the relationship-building question helps the new chief executive and board chair better understand each other and create ground rules for their relationship. If you're looking for appropriate relationship building questions, I can highly recommend John Fullwider's book, Better Together. John was on the podcast back on episode 23, and we will link to his episode in the show notes. Now, full disclosure, we are about to remove the first 55 episodes of the podcast due to audio quality. It took us a long time to figure out how to actually produce this podcast in a way that the audio quality was high, and we made the strategic decision in the very near future to remove the first 55 episodes. So John's episode will only be available for a limited time. If you think you might be interested in it, download it now and save it, because it's probably going to go away in about two or three months. The chief executive will also want to build relationships with individual management team members. And another good way to do that is the weekly group management or senior leadership team meeting, but also to have those one-on-ones. So you can ask each, team, each management team member to create their own agenda for your meeting if you're the new chief executive. But you definitely, again, want to include a meaningful relationship-building question in every agenda. So every week, you need to be working on building that relationship with individual senior leadership team members so that they know, first of all, as the new chief executive, you care about them, but also so that you better understand each other. The relationship's not a one-way street. It's not just you understanding your senior leadership team member, and it's not that team member understanding you. You both have to come to some mutual understandings of how each other works and how you are going to work together. And finally, the board chair plays a critically important role in managing staff expectations about being able to lodge complaints regarding the new chief executive the vast majority of chief executives face some type of backlash during their first 18 months, typically from staff or other constituents who had grown accustomed to the prior chief executive. No matter how hard the new executive director tries to be like their predecessor, they will never be the person's twin. They will never be identical. And so those complaints are almost inevitable. For this reason, it's entirely appropriate for the board chair to meet with staff before a new chief executive starts. The chair should explain that the board selected a new chief executive director who they believe is the absolute best person to lead the organization into the future. They should also explain that the board fully anticipates the new chief executive will be very different from the last one because the future Is not usually like the past. We have selected a new chief executive who has the skills and the mindset and the perspective necessary for us to continue to thrive in the future. And for that reason, the new person has the full support of the board. The board chair has to just go on and explain that the board will only consider complaints or grievances against the new executive director if they are legal Or ethical in nature. Otherwise, the board intends to uphold the chief executive's authority to manage the organization. Now, believe it or not, that presentation to staff is the easy part. The difficult part will come 10 to 15 months later when a long tenured staff member complains to a board member. Boards want to be compassionate and they want to help make things better for that staff member. No one decides to serve on a board because they want to be a meanie or because they want to have someone within the organization who is unhappy. But it is in the best interest of the organization to politely decline to hear complaints that are not legal or ethical in nature. And when we talk about ethical in nature, it needs to be highly ethical in nature and not, well, I just don't like their decision and so it feels ethical to me. You need to put those complaints that are ethical in nature under a magnifying glass and take a close look at them and make sure that they're genuinely ethical and not just, well, I don't like the decision or I don't like this person's style. So the last thing, this is number six, that you as a board can do to help ensure that your next chief executive is successful is to get an executive coach for your new executive director. I started this episode by explaining that the role of a nonprofit executive director is a lonely and difficult job. At all levels of the organization, everyone's eyes and ears are on the new executive director. Their words and their actions get magnified in ways that you never thought possible or probably even thought healthy. And what's more... As I've already said, there's going to be a lot of people that are jockeying for the new chief executive's attention and trying to get them to make decisions that are maybe in their own best interest, but not in the organization's best interest. So a coach can play many roles for that new chief executive. First of all, they're a safe sounding board. You know the coach is not going to gossip within the organization, gossip within the board, or spread that anywhere in the community. Additionally, the coach is someone who is a guide who has been there before and gotten others through it successfully. So, a good coach is someone who has seen it, they know it, and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I saw this a couple times in my career, or I've worked with a few coaching clients who have faced this, and here are some ways that they've dealt with it. A coach also plays a teacher and a trainer. And so sometimes it's suggesting resources and talking about those resources, whether they're books, podcast episodes, blog posts, whatever, but sometimes also a little more training in terms of, okay, let's do some role play on this. You need to have a difficult conversation with your board treasurer, or you need to have a difficult conversation with this member of staff. Let's you and I role play it. Let's see how this goes. And then finally, a good coach can serve as an accountability partner to help keep you focused on those four or five big goals that the new chief executive has. And some people also are a little hesitant about getting a coach because they feel like it's not a sign of strength. Let me be clear, getting a coach is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Now, we all know the adage that even world-class athletes have coaches, but here's something you may not have thought about. So do athletes who are weekend warriors, but want to be good at it and want to enjoy it. If as an adult, you have ever had a trainer at the gym, a yoga instructor, or a music teacher, then you, my friend, have had a coach. And chances are that trainer, yoga instructor, music teacher probably helped you get better faster and probably helped you enjoy what you wanted to do. So if your board is truly committed to a new executive director's success, coaching is a modest investment to help navigate this onboarding process. As your board thinks about a coach though, it's also really important that you understand the new chief executive should be the person that selects their coach. The board can't mandate a coach. This is a really personal relationship and if the new chief executive and the coach don't click well, it's not going to be as successful. So as a board, you have to set aside the resources so that someone can hire a coach, but you have to allow the new chief executive to hire the coach that is right for them. Now, I also promised to tell you about some great resources, and there are three Harvard Business Review articles and a book that I think will be very helpful for you. Now, Harvard Business Review has a paywall, and you can read a certain number of articles for free each month. I don't remember how many it is, but it might be two or three, so you could probably pick um, at least two of them and be able to read two of the articles I'm about to talk about. In addition to my own professional experience, these articles and books have shaped my own consulting practice and have certainly shaped this podcast. So let me get let me jump in and share the three articles with you. The first is called After the Handshake, and it essentially talks about why a third of all CEOs fail and gives you tips on how to address these issues. The second HBR, which is Harvard Business Review article, is entitled the five myths of a CEO's first 100 days. And what it does is it tells you what those five myths are. It tells you the actual reality and how you can keep those five myths from impacting the success of your new chief executive. And then the last one that I'm going to recommend that you read is called The Three Challenges Every New CEO Faces. And I'll tell you real quick what those three challenges are. They're managing energy, Remember I said this is a difficult job and you're bombarded with information and you're also bombarded with people wanting your time. You've got to manage your energy. Managing relationships up and out and then managing information flow. Now, of course, the article gives you a lot more detail on each of those three real big challenges that every new CEO faces as well as ways to address it. And finally, and I've already recommended this book, you've got to check out John Fullwider's Better Together. It is a phenomenally good book, and I really suggest that if you are looking at building a new relationship or even strengthening an existing relationship between a board chair and a chief executive, this is a great book for you to check out. Well, my friends, that is our podcast episode for this week. You know, I'd love it if you went on SuccessfulNonprofits.com. In the show notes, I have linked all three of those HBR articles. I've also linked John Fullwider's book, Better Together. While you're on SuccessfulNonprofits.com, I always appreciate you liking the page the show notes is on and sharing it with colleagues and friends. This is part of how you can help strengthen organizations that you care about. Just share the episode. And finally, while you're online, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. That, my dear listener, is our show for this week. I hope you've gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.